Tuesday night is the right time for Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. This is sort of a real-time mission log, analyzing a fresh episode of Discovery. Wait, smell that? I still got that new Discovery smell. This week, we're diving into episode 8 of Discovery, Siwis Pakam Parabellum. Now, the reason we do this show live is because we want to talk to you about Discovery. More importantly, we want you to talk to us. There are a few ways that you can do that. You can click on the link to our Zoom meeting uh, that's in the description above and in the comments right below this video as it happens. And you can also call us at 646-558-8656 and enter the meeting ID, or you can use the one tap from your phone, which will automatically connect you. Remember that link and phone number change from week to week. Now, we do want to thank everyone who has been calling in, everybody who's been writing in, uh, sharing your thoughts about Discovery. If you can't be here for the whole thing, that's cool. Or if you're catching the recording and wondering when you can catch it live, that is also cool, in case you're wondering. Uh, we go live on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod, and on the Roddenberry Productions YouTube page, home of the Roddenberry Prod. That's right. It's youtube.com slash Prod. We do that every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And those videos are available, uh, both of those places, mere moments after this show ends. It's kind of creepy, John. I was, um, I, think, I think I still had it up last week from when I was like watching the comments. And then all of a sudden, we started talking at me again. <laughs> it is a little bit weird how that happens, right? And you it's mentioned, amazing. by the way, the Roddenberry prod uh, sold where fine prods are sold. Yes. So everybody, please be sure to pick up yours today. By the way, uh, not to pat myself on the back, but I I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that I got through it. Uh, a few people here commenting about my Latin pronunciation. So uh, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you. Let's see. Chris Riker, uh, Michael Morrison. Really nice to hear that. I haven't taken Latin since seventh grade, so I really wanted to make sure that I got that right. By the way, um, we want to make sure that you visit the poll. We have a straw poll, as we do every week now. You'll see that link in the comments, so make sure you follow that and vote. We'll uh, be mentioning that poll as well as the results of last week's poll a little later in the show. This week, the question is, um, well, I, I guess we have to phrase it like this. Lieutenant Saru's violence. What's up with that? Two answers. I get it. I don't get it. Those yeah. are the two you get to choose from. So already taking some answers on that. Hey, uh, by the way, if you prefer to get your podcast the old-fashioned way, this show is actually in its very own dedicated audio feed. So wherever you get your podcasts, like iTunes, just search for Mission Log Live and subscribe that way. To make things really easy for our show and for every show under the Roddenberry banner, you can also go to podcast.roddenberry.com and find links there. Now, we do have a recap of this week's show coming up in just a little bit, or this week's discovery. Excuse me. We do also want to take your questions, but I'm very happy to say we also have a guest with us tonight. Dr. Ali Matsu will join us. He is the host of The Psych Show and also a giant nerd, and like I said, we're also going to take your calls and, uh, and talk some discovery stuff, because won't that be fun? Uh, first, though, as I say, John is going to recap this episode for us. Uh, this episode, of course, summa cum laude, magna cum laude, the radio is too laude. John. Thank you for that, Ken. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> we open on an intense battle. 
bunch of Klingon ships are beating the tar out of the USS Gagarin, but the Discovery swoops in to save the day, except it doesn't. Whoa, three Federation ships lost. So all the Discovery can do is hightail it out of there with the spore drive, which, by the way, is making Stamets act out a bit. He's less full of the mushroom love and more full of the vinegar he had before. Also seems a bit disoriented. Elsewhere, Michael Burnham, Ash Tyler, and Lieutenant Saru are on the planet Pavo, the place just pulsing with sound from the vibration of every plant and rock around, and all of it being transmitted by a giant crystal into space. Starfleet might be able to use that as a giant sonar to detect cloaked Klingon ships. Also, it's driving Lieutenant Saru bonkers because his hypersensitivity is hypersensitive. Turns out everything on Pavo is alive, and the Pavans manifest as a living, glowing, non-corporeal sort of mist in front of our crew and welcome them in for a cup of tea. At night, with Saru unable to sleep from the noise, he begs for some peace, and they give it to him. They really give him the peace he desires. The next morning, he tells the others that their mission has changed, that the Pavans have invited them to stay, and what luck! Those beings have achieved a perfect, harmonious relationship with their world. Just to make sure they stay, Saru breaks their communicators. Let's check in on the Klingon, shall we? Cole has tasked Lorel with interrogating their prisoner, Admiral Cornwell. In walks Lorel to the brig, and she says, scream. Kind of a weird interrogation technique, but it does throw off the guard outside just enough that he leaves. Now that they have some privacy, Laurel says what she really wants. Asylum. Laurel has a shuttle they'll need to get to. And just as they're on the way, Cole spots them. Thinking fast, Laurel and Cornwell break out into a fight. And for theatrics, it's pretty intense. It ends with the back of Cornwell's head slamming into a piece of equipment, which knocks her unconscious enough to look dead. Laurel says she'll dispose of the body. Back on Pavo... Tyler attempts to distract Saru while Burnham makes a run for that crystal transmitter. The distraction only goes so far with Saru attempting to get Tyler into his way of thinking about just dropping the pretense for revenge until he realizes what's going on. Saru can run, seriously run, and he catches up to Burnham in no time, tries to smash her transmitter to reach Discovery, but that fight ensues until they're exhausted and the Pavans show up with Tyler. Burnham asks them to help. Saru begs them to not. Looks like Burnham wins. The Pavans use their transmitter and the Discovery locks on Lickety Split. Back aboard, Saru is broken. The Pavans gave him the one thing he had never experienced, a moment without fear, and he attacked Burnham to preserve it. So, where are we by the end? Cole doesn't trust Laurel anymore, so she's carted off to somewhere. And the Pavans have used their understanding of the Federation-Klingon conflict to invite the Klingons to their planet as well, because, you know, maybe we can all just talk it out. The end. Oh, those Pavans. <laughs> yes. They're incorrigible, thinking that yeah. you can make peace with just, you know, whomever. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hey, uh, Ken, that poll. So uh, yeah. last week... We, we asked our audience to pick their favorite 
alien animal that we've run into so far. We had the uh, the tardigrade, where we had the gorgamander, and uh, last week's results so far: uh, the tardigrade sixty nine point oh five percent, the gorgamander thirty point nine five percent. You didn't read what I wrote. I did. No, 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 wait. no, you didn't. Did you no. It? Yeah, yeah no. no, I said I'm happy to say that last week's poll was actually working correctly because the tardigrade won. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. You're, you're still I'm, on I'm that, putting, are you? Uh-huh. Putting my thumb on the scale a little bit, except it's already happened. So I can just tell you where my thumb was. Yeah, tardigrade uh-huh. for the win. Tardigrade for life. Uh, so, yeah, this week's question Saru's violence. What's up with that? What's up and, with that? Exactly. You do that better than I do. You can choose one answer I get it or I don't get it. And um, if we want to talk about that later, we certainly can. In the meantime, though, uh, John, uh, we have somebody that we'd like to bring aboard. We do. We have a special guest tonight, Dr. Ali Matu. Ali is a clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Columbia University Medical Center. Now, he's not just here because Ken and I need serious professional help. No, Ali is here because in addition to his mission of bringing psychology to everyone through his The Psych Show, He has a special place in his heart and his career for science fiction and Star Trek in particular. In fact, one of his favorite topics is the utopian vision of Star Trek and addressing the ways we might achieve it. Also, I was glad to sit in on a panel with Ali a few years ago at Comic-Con, the psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars. We won. Well, I don't know. I I, I really I can't remember. Did we? Did we? I'm just I'm going to say that we won. We made it so. Okay, good. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Ali. Great to see you again, man. Hey, so good to see you guys. A longtime listener of the podcast, and uh, so good to be here live with you guys talking about Discovery. Thank Excellent. you very much for doing it. We really do appreciate it. Um, I, got, I want to start just with a, with a question right away, because I actually watched something that you had done for the Psych Show, saying that you were really looking forward to Discovery and sort of the... Uh, well, there was the way that Star Trek has always kind of shown us, uh, acted as a beacon, I suppose, for the future. And then um, you were thinking, hey, it'd be great because Discovery, you know, this is something that we need around this time. And now you've got the Federation, the Vulcans and the Klingons. They're all kind of divided internally. I mean, not just amongst each other, but uh, also internally. Then In doing this Discovery, I mean, maybe, you know, breaking that whole Star Trek monolithic, you know, happy culture thing. And sort of reflecting what's happening now, I guess the question I have is, is that what we want Star Trek to do? I mean, do you want Star Trek to reflect now or do you want Star Trek to show you where you could be? I think it's always done both. And it's usually always done both in one single episode. And we can we can see all of those sides represented, um, whether it's a TOS era, TNG era. We've always seen that. The problem I'm having with Discovery and the challenge I have at answering your question is, uh, since this is a serialized format, it's really hard to see all those pieces together at once when we're in the middle of the story. I think it's very much doing a lot of what you're talking about from the pilot um, to where we are now. Um, you know, the Federation is not all on the same page. The Vulcans are not on the same page. The Klingons are very much divided. And so how do we, how do we get to that era that we see in later Star Treks where, um, especially in the Federation, but some of the, the cultures as well, there is more unity and people are working towards these larger goals. I don't, 
it, it's hard to to know because we're in the middle of the storyline and i don't know how you both do it um discuss this it's it's such a big challenge because we, we don't know where the story's headed yeah, the, the trick is we don't discuss it. That's why we have a live call-in show, because we're desperate for our listeners to explain it to us. <laughs> so, yeah, g- give us about 10 years, and we'll circle back around after we've watched the entirety of Discovery. Then we can start to put the pieces back together. I think uh, I think that's the trick. Well, and that's what's fun about uh, this show, too, is we're, we're going to go back to these conversations in a few months and realize how wrong we were about everything. Um, but one of the things I, I love about Discovery is it is breaking apart these ideas we have about, Ken, you were saying, the, the monolithic cultures. One of the criticisms I've had of Star Trek is, you know, all the Klingons sort of have the same culture and have the same beliefs. And the Federation does look like largely a homo sapiens only cl- club where everyone speaks English, you know, on the whole, I know the whole universal translator thing, but, um, and the same with the Vulcans. And so we're seeing that broken apart a little bit, which I think is tapping into a lot of what's happening in our world right now with rising nationalism in a lot of parts of the world, us thinking we know a lot about how these different groups think and work, whether it's liberals and conservatives or, uh, you know, the coasters and, and non-coasters and all, all that sort of stuff. But um, Discovery shows us that the cultures and the people that we think we know, there's there's actually a lot more diversity of thought, of ideas, of beliefs there. And that's the same. The same thing is true with with our world. The thing I want to see is how do we get to the Klingon empire we know, how do we get to the Federation that we know? And I hope discovery will show us that, that journey, uh, filling the gaps from here to TOS. Um, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about this because there is a question in our feed here from Chris Riker, who says, are the Klingons more one note warriors than ever, or is it just me? Um, Mm -hmm. what do you see in the portrayal of the Klingons now? I, I think we need, I hope we're going to get this in the second half of the first season. I think we need a all Klingon episode to really flesh out the storyline because where they, where they start in the pilot is we, we do see, or at least it's hinted at all of these different houses and how they've been warring or fighting uh, different factions. And I think that storyline, that thread has been dropped a little bit. It's it's spoken to um, in this episode. We heard a little bit about it, about some of the houses that are falling behind this Klingon leader are getting the, the stealth. What do they call it? The stealth not stealth blanket, but they call it something like that, right? It's not. They, they call it uh, in invisibility something, but then they also refer to it as stealth technology. They haven't right. actually said cloaking device, <laughs> right? Which I like. Yeah, I think that's right. kind of yeah. cute. Yeah, I think that's um, fine. So, but but it's. I think there's a there's a larger storyline that's being evoked about division among the Klingons and fighting and different philosophies on how to move forward, but. We're not seeing that as much right now. Um, and hopefully that's a storyline. I think that's going to be picked up in the second half of the season. I want to see like an all Klingon episode where everyone's just talking Klingon. I was actually going to ask you, you want to see that all Klingon episode? Do we do like Hunt for Red October where we let them you know, speak with subtitles for about a minute? <laughs> and then we go ahead and switch to English because still we're what eight episodes in now. I'm still getting people saying I can't take the subtitles. I just can't take right. it. 
Right. I think they can move up the pace of their talking. And I think they did in this episode a little bit. They're talking a little bit faster. But wow, was it slow? I mean, they enunciated every word in Klingon um, in, in all these previous episodes. I want it. I like the Klingon. It's, it's nice to hear everything in Klingon. Yeah, I, I, I like it, actually. I, I think it's kind of cool. It, it just lends an even more alien vibe to it. Um, I, I want to ask you, you know, going back to this idea that you raised before about uh, utopias and, and Star Trek being this sort of utopian vision. Um, when you and I know that we, we don't have time for you to do your whole lecture you do your lecture series here on this little short format podcast. But, but, you know, if you had to give us the kind of the elevator pitch for it, yeah. When you talk about Star Trek as a utopian vision for the future and um, you say that this is something achievable, or at least it's a model that, that we should shoot for, you know, wh- where do you see our, our hurdles and where do you see that we're on the right path? Yeah. Well, so the the three pieces I think that are very unique to Star Trek are um, us overcoming our prejudice for each other, um, uniting behind large, uh, what are called superordinate goals, goals that individual groups or individual people can't achieve on their own, things that are like really big, um, the founding of the United States, um, the uh, mission to to the moon, things like that, things that are large goals. Um, and then number three, which is developing empathy for aliens. Those are really the three steps involved in Star Trek's future. What the challenge is, we can we can do all of those things in small groups. We can do all of those things to some degree in nation states. The challenge of that is scaling it up to a um, to a global degree, and I think that that is the challenge that we are going to be facing in the 21st century. Um, that's a challenge we're seeing right now. With uh, the the EU is experiencing this. That's an experiment that's been in some ways similar to the Federation. I think the closest that and the United Nations, although I think arguably the EU might be a better model of what the Federation could be. And it is very much being challenged right now. Is that something that's sustainable? So um, the short answer to your question, John, is um, it's the scalability, scaling it up to a large degree, scaling up our ability to have empathy. We're, we're so wired and evolved to function well in small groups. But when we start to work in larger groups, we run into a lot of these basic tribal primitive problems that are that are in our brain. You, we like the group that we belong to and we dislike other groups. Even when researchers randomly assign you to different groups, you will like your group better than the other group. And that is the problem we run into in scaling up stuff to the Star Trek utopian future. How do you do that without... And I guess that's the million dollar question or the billion dollar question or the trillion dollar question, even (laughs) how do you do that without, I mean, like I always love the way the comic book, the Watchmen ended because in the Watchmen, they convince everybody, Hey, there's an alien, like an alien, alien, and it's going to destroy cities. So we're going to get together as a planet and be ready for it next time. I don't want to spoil how it actually ends, but I mean, that, (laughs) that's sort of like, that's the kind of thing. Um, You go back to Star Trek first contact yeah. Uh, Zephram Cochran is able to build um, is able to build the warp core basically out of world war 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there are still warring factions and we're not even going to get together until again, an alien comes this time. It's a friendly alien in the form of the Vulcans saying, all right, listen, you need to get it together because there's some really cool stuff going on off this planet. I mean, do we really have to cross our fingers and hope that some alien race lands? I mean, uh, how do we actually get from here to there? And I guess this kind of goes back to the question I asked originally. I like the Star Trek that I can watch and say, hey, we can get there. Yeah. And I don't need to see the steps necessarily. I just need to believe that we can do it. Because once I believe we can, we didn't know how we were going to the moon in 61. We didn't know how we were going to do that, but we knew we were going to. So we found a way. Right. How do how do we do that now? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned First Contact and that piece that I think a lot of uh, Star Trek fans overlook, which is it was out of World War Three and it was out of that devastation that humanity experienced that maybe the stage was set for First Contact. Maybe we realized, hey, this the way things are going aren't going to work for us. Uh, the way I think we can achieve it is uh, I think the opening here, the, the opportunity we have is actually with climate change. Uh, I think this is going to be a existential threat to our species, and it's going to be something that we can only overcome by working together. Um, there's no way around that. Economists call it a common pool resource problem. It's We all share the earth. It's our common resource. And the only way we can overcome it is by working together. So I think we'll see elements of Star Trek's future over the next hundred years as we're trying to tackle this problem, having to overcome prejudice to work together to tackle um, a goal that we couldn't otherwise achieve. The whole empathy for aliens part is actually really hard. So I don't think that part of first contact could have worked for us. Um, There was no, unless there was a universal translator that the Vulcans had and they knew how to speak English. um, I don't see that really working Um, or, you know, unless the aliens look just like us, which they conveniently do in Star Trek. So there's (laughs) that. Um, But Ken, I mean, the other question you raise here gets us back to discovery is, uh, you want to see that. You want to see that utopian future there in Discovery. And I, I don't think we're quite seeing that yet. We're seeing stories about really bad leaders. You know, in the pilot, the best leaders mm. we have are wiped out. Um, yeah. We're seeing stories about science versus war and science being used um, for the sake of war. Um, we're, uh, you know, it's... It, this is a different kind of Star Trek, and it's pushing up and challenging a lot of ideas I have about Star Trek. Uh, you guys had uh, Larry Nemchik on on one of these episodes, and Larry and I always have these discussions about how um, it was like for him to watch Star Trek The Next Generation after being a TOS fan. And I think I'm finally starting to know what that felt like for TOS fans to see this whole new vision of Star Trek. I'm now getting that more than any point in my history, more than the Kelvin timeline films, um, more than Deep Space Nine and Voyager, because there were just other takes on on this. Uh, I I don't I don't know. I I think if if we see Michael Burnham's character going on this discovery and getting us to a place that is that familiar utopian future. I think this is very much going to feel like Star Trek. Right now, it's hard to know what this feels like. This week's episode had some great moments 
talking about first contact and talking about um, the prime directive with, without saying prime directive. And it, it's, it's been nice how they're evoking um, a lot of familiar stories and notes and ideas from Star Trek. And last week's episode was one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek, the, the time travel episode with mud. It was a, a beautiful modern take on some familiar Star Trek storylines. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know there's some I, people I, who had the problems with the Pavans, but I got to say, it felt great to land on a on a planet yeah. where we had no idea what we were dealing with. I mean, that felt very TOS to me, and it's weird because this yeah. is the first week that every other message on Twitter hasn't been, this is the most Star Trek episode of, of Discovery that we've seen so far. Mm. I mean, it, it's weird because it didn't feel particularly Star Trek, and yet there was so much stuff that was. I mean, um, I know John's going to talk about this later, but I mean, it it evoked thoughts of the spores, certainly. It evoked mm-hmm. thoughts of, of sort of those like, those, oh, look, it's a planet-wide intelligence. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, because we have those. Well, we used to actually on TOS <laughs> yeah. and occasionally on TNG. And it was kind of neat to, it was kind of neat to come back to that this week too. Right. Yeah. By the way, just a couple of comments that, uh, that I wanted to share. Um, uh, Michael says uh, that th- this is all true. I loved realizing that Star Trek is really just a post, post, post dystopian future. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting of uh, <laughs> a good comment there. And then uh, our, <clears throat> our, our old friend Earl Green, who says, judging by the number of people in TOS and TNG who want to leave Earth, and start their own whole new utopia in Bronson Canyon. <laughs> I mean, another planet. <laughs> there are quite a few willing to step away from the Federation's creature comforts. Right. So there's a whole other part of the story of the future here that, uh, that, that we, we, we might need to look into. And uh, Rick uh, has a question for you, Ali. Dr. Yeah. Matu, a little off topic, but as cultures and people naturally become more progressive, is the current political climate an example of an extinction burst? Oh, wow. Um, It's hard to know. I feel like very, very similar to where we are in Discovery. We're in the very we're in the middle of a of a big experiment that's happening with uh, with globalism and with uh, with migration patterns and more humans coming into contact with each other than have ever happened with, um, in human history. So what's going to happen there? Um, I feel like this is such a cop out, but I, I don't know. We're going <laughs> to find out. We'll find yeah, out if we're going down that eugenics yeah. or three route or not. Um, and I don't think that's a cop out. I think that's totally fair. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking, we're taking that easy answer, watching a television show. So really, if you don't want to decide right this minute, yeah. About the potential yeah, right. end of the world. That's okay. <laughs> well, and it's really the, the post, post, post dystopian. Um, I, I love that comment because that, uh, you know, Star Trek has had a very hard line on, um, on these cautionary tales about messing with biology and messing with genetics and a very strong line against eugenics. So, and, and going against your instinct and biology. I, I think we've seen threads of that storyline throughout all versions of Star Trek. And in this week's episode, we saw Stamets more changes to his, his cognition, his memory, his awareness as a result of interfacing with the spore drive. We saw that with Saru as well, trying to escape his instincts and trying to avoid 
his emotions and the the consequences of that. And I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with those storylines, um, how they're going to play out, because that's been something that Star Trek always has taken a stand against with Khan and eugenics, as well as with Dr. Bashir and DS9 and you know, all sorts of other stories. Um, don't mess with your biology and bad things happen when you do. And so we'll see what happens with that. Well, we mentioned earlier that you are the host of the psych show, but we want to make sure that people know where to find that. And also um, I follow you on Twitter, which I, I really appreciate being able to do this. um, I can't believe this is the first time you and I have actually spoken, (laughs) but um, I'm glad I got to tonight, but do me a favor, let everybody know where they can find the psych show and also um, how they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, so The Psych Show uh, is on Facebook. You just look up The Psych Show, and there it is. And on YouTube.com slash The Psych Show. Uh, one or two episodes back, I had an episode, Ken, that you are talking about um, related to the psychology of Star Trek. So check that out if you're interested in this stuff. And I also write about uh, the psychology of science fiction at BrainNosBetter.com and would love to connect with folks and continue the discussion on Twitter at Olima2. Um, so good to be here. We could spend hours. There's so many questions I have. <laughs> I know, I'm right? Kind of right. holding them in. I'm holding them in. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll keep making podcasts so you can come back anytime <laughs> you like. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah. Live long and prosper, right. guys. Live long and prosper. Thanks, Ali. And uh, Zach, we will be getting to you soon. We wanted to remind everybody how to reach us tonight. If you take a look in the comments, there is a pinned comment that has the link to our Zoom meeting where you can join us with your webcam. Uh, You can also call us at 646-558-8656 and enter the meeting ID that you see in the description and in the comments below. So, Ken, how about we jump over to Zach, who has been waiting patiently on the phone. Zach, are you there? Hello, Zach. Hello. Can you hear me? Hey, Zach. Yeah, we sure can. Hi. Cool. Um, Yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, some of the bridge officers that we've seen so far. Um, We've got uh, today in the uh, battle scene in the beginning, you kind of saw everybody. You saw Reese at Tactical, um, and you see Detmer. Uh, Owosakun and uh, uh, the kind of like cybernetic character, the uh, Arium. I'm not sure we've heard her name on air yet, but that's what they had on mission uh, on Memory Alpha. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to see more of these characters that we've seen so much of interacting with our main cast, um, especially uh, Detmer, who's got the, he now looks like a cybernetic eye and the uh, uh, big piece of metal on her forehead. Um, I, I feel like, yeah, uh, I feel like she and, uh, Burnham especially have to have some kind of reckoning, um, hopefully in this season, if not next season. Um, and I was wondering what you guys thought about those, those characters. Ken, you first. Uh, I would like to know more about the R.A.M. character just because she looks so much like a robot. Um, I don't, I mean, I want to know what, uh, I want to know her backstory. Uh, you're right about Detmer. I would really like to see what's going to happen there. I mean, occasionally we're seeing things. It, it seems obvious that they're not going to have any sort of uh, gigantic come to Jesus with them because they're both at that party last week. Right. And they're both just That's like hanging true. out. They're not. I mean, they weren't fighting. I mean, it would be if, if like Detmer had gotten up and left when Burnham walked in or something, then I would think there was going to be more of a reckoning. Um, I, I do think they are. I think those characters are owed a conversation. 
at some point because that's I mean that's that's a pretty big thing. The first when she first walks onto the bridge of discovery and Detmer sees her, I mean I mean you can tell that she is not saying anything because she has nothing good to say. Um that we've gotten so far without even really an acknowledgement between the two of them since is kind of surprising. But yeah, you certainly have a lot more speaking parts from the people on the bridge. That That's a big difference between next gen and, and now. I think yeah, we joke all the time about Lieutenant Junior J. <laughs> I don't think she, I don't know if she spoke once <laughs> on all of yeah, DMJ. Right. Right. Uh, and, and we'll get people piping up here. So kind of makes the crew feel a bit more real as well. What about you, John? Yeah, I mean, uh, I figure if you're going to have a character like uh, Arium, uh, Arium, am I saying that correctly? Uh, but if you're going to have a cybernetic being on board, and uh, first of all, visually stunning, just such a cool makeup job on that actor, um, you have to do something more with that character. We can't just sort of like show that off and then not get more into that character. So I'm expecting more down the road. And um, how great was that line in the last episode where uh, they arrive at the battle with the Gagarin? First of all, Nice to have a ship named the Gagarin. Very cool. Um, yes. Yes, right. Uh, I'm not sure who the Hoover was named after, though. I don't think you name a ship after Herbert Hoover, so I'm, I'm not going to go with that. Um, but uh, I loved landing at that battle site and then uh, Lorca saying, I forgot the exact phrase, but Mr. Reese, if you would please fire at something. <laughs> so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> yeah. Such a Lorca moment. <laughs> I absolutely loved that. So, um, the thing that I noticed that I really liked at the end of last week's episode was the cast coming together, the bridge crew really coming together. You had all those major players on the bridge, solid around a plan. And that was the first time so far in this series that we've gotten that. So that really stood out to me. And it made me think, okay, now we've kind of gotten their relationship down. They, they've all pulled together for something. Um, how soon before we tie in those other characters into that? There's clearly, as you said, there's clearly more to the story with Detmer because she's got mixed feelings about Burnham or maybe just one feeling about Burnham. So how will, uh, will Burnham overcome that? Um, but again, like we were saying with, uh, with Ali just moments ago, the interesting thing about this show is that we're not handed everything right from the beginning. We're not handed a crew that is totally together from the beginning. So we've got to let it play out. We've got to see where they land us at the end of the season. And then at the end of the next season, uh, I'm anxious to see where that goes, but I, I don't want it too soon. You know, I, I don't want the star Trek just sort of handed to me on a silver platter. I, I agree. Definitely. And I think that uh, like a lot of people are, you know, jumping to judge this show. And I, I really honestly don't think we're going to really be able to tell how we feel about the show until around the time you guys get to it on the primary podcast in five or six years. <laughs> oh, five or six years. Yeah. You're dreaming, pal. Yeah. yeah we, we got another, we got another <laughs> 10 years before we get to discovery. Yeah. Which is why we, one of the reasons we wanted to go ahead and jump in with the weekly conversation. Now, uh, speaking of which, Zach, we do have a, we do have a couple of other people to get to, but thank you very much, sir, for calling in and please do, uh, do give us a call again sometime. Yes. Thank you so much. Excellent. We have business. You want to do business, do. John? Is it business let's do, time? Let, let's do business. I like right. doing business, Ken. Yeah. We want to talk about our good friends at Eagle Moss and the discovery starships. 
uh, starships because they've got discovery starships and dude, uh, we got art. We do. <laughs> we have amazing art to show you this week. So you've heard us talk about these before the officially authorized collection of discovery starships authorized by CBS studios and available only from Eagle Moss collections. Look at that. Look at that beautiful starship on the screen right now. So these models are incredibly detailed. This collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from Star Trek Discovery. Each has gone through an extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. I got to say, I knew I loved the Shenzhou. But now seeing the model, man, I love mm-hmm. the Shenzhou. Right. Uh, the first thing you'll notice, because this is the one thing you can't get from this video that you're seeing, um, is they're bigger, uh, almost eight inches from the front of the saucer to the rear of the nacelles. And uh, the new ships in this special series are, as I say, in that larger scale, but they keep the same meticulous attention to detail that they've always kept, the same uh, quality materials as well. So specially formulated metallic resin, hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production, that each ship does also come with a display base plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, both about uh, designing the ships and making the ships in our universe and, of course, uh, background information uh, in the crazy Star Trek universe we all love so much. Now, here's the thing to know. They are coming in limited quantities in early 2018. So right now is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship. That would be the USS Shinzu NCC-1227 for only $9.95 with free shipping. The ship itself will be sent to you on or before January 31st, 2018. New models will then ship monthly and be delivered directly to your door. Subscribers also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every Starship in the series, along with free shipping. And of course, you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection and reserve your place, among the first to subscribe, uh, visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. That address again is EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships. And we do very much thank Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Uh, really quickly, we get a message. I uh, got a question actually in the chat room. Uh, yeah. Joy, it might be a Flight of the Concords reference, except I think business time was on Wednesday. So <laughs> it's only kind of a Flight of the Concords reference. Uh, and now back to, uh, back to call-in questions, right, John? Yeah, let's take... Uh, well, we have Earl. We have Earl on video. I would love to go to Earl right now. Do we have him ready? Oh, I thought we had a, I thought we had a, an audio caller lined up. I'm sorry. Do we not still have uh, oh. Matthew? Oh, do we? Sorry about that. Whoever we have here, Brandon, you can uh, patch through. We've got <laughs> Matthew or Earl or Casey. I think it's Matthew. Is that you, Matthew? Good evening. There Good he evening. is. Good evening. I am unmuted. Fantastic. The famous Matthew Corey. That's one of the best ways to talk to us is to not mute yourself. We actually, we encourage almost everybody to do that. John, think about doing a whole show muted at some point, Ken. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about it. It'll be like the Acuna. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What's on your mind tonight, Matthew? Uh, I just wanted to talk talk briefly about the presentation of the show, how, you know, we've gotten used to Netflix where, you know, Stranger Things 2 came out recently and it's all the episodes are right there. And, you know, within a weekend, people have watched the whole the whole series. And then they move on to something else. Whereas here we're getting one episode a week. So, you know, it builds that community and, and that sense of 
you're on a journey of discovery with this show. Yeah, yes. Um, I, I'm glad that they did this the way they did it because, you know, as you say, a lot of shows in the last few years have come out in one burst. And then what happens? You hear people talk about it for a week or two, maybe a month, and then it sort of goes away. And I, I like doing this. And maybe that's just selfish and, and self-serving, but I, I like doing this. I like being able to watch a show, really pick it apart. Um, I've been doing this thing here in L.A., getting together with friends and a group of people every other Sunday night to watch and then go have a drink afterward and talk about it. That's what's been really nice about watching Star Trek this way. And I feel like if I had just sat at home one day and watched eight episodes in a row, I wouldn't have that opportunity. So um, I think it's smart from a marketing angle. But I also just, as a fan of anything Star Trek, I'm going to be able to watch it like this and savor it over time. The one thing I do wish was different, I am so done with the, so we're going to show you half a season, then we're going to take nine weeks off, and then we're going to come back and show you the other half of the season, because the problem is I don't, I don't tend to remember what happened <laughs> for all that time. I know they'll give us a previously on thing, but I mean, that can kind of kill momentum for me personally. And it's the way television has gone. I mean, a year and a half ago, I think when they announced that Star Trek was going to be available only behind a paywall, I had a lot of friends who were really upset. And my response was, this is the way television is going. So you need to go ahead and let that go because it's how it's going to be. That said, I will go ahead and complain about the fact that we take, you know, as much of as much of the season as we've already had, we're going to have that much time off before we get to go back again. I don't quite understand it. It kills momentum for me on network television as well. Like um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for some reason is now breaking itself up with like eight or 12 weeks in between the first half of a season and the second half of a season. That's kind of I mean, that's that's a drag. That's not an argument against the week after week after week thing, though. Um I do, I, I, I will admit, I did not like the fact that I wasn't going to be able to binge it initially. But having the anticipation is actually kind of a cool thing. So, yeah, it, I think... It I'm, builds up this community with all of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, look, this is, this is different Star Trek in a different format. And I, I've mentioned before how I like the idea that the writers can build out a season and then take time off. They can step back from it while it's getting out there, while they're getting fan reaction, and then go back and build out that second season and hopefully a third and beyond. Um, it, it's new territory for Star Trek, and, and we all sense it. That these stories are being told very differently. And by the way, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, Matthew, you are the Wunderkind writer of True Q. Uh, the originator, yeah, Rene Echeverria. Originator. Course, uh, did the yes. rewrite. He, he yeah. changed about 99%, but he, he did a great job, and um, <laughs> it's a wonderful episode. But, but that 1% is yours, and nobody can take that away that, from you. That sweet, yes. sweet 1%. Nice. Yeah. So, you, you know, you know, a thing or two, you, you know, more about writing for TV than I do. You've written exactly one more episode of Star Trek than I have. So if you, if you pause the ending credits at just the right moment, you'll see my name. Beautiful. I was going to say, what Beautiful. is the, uh, what's the phrase uh, from an acorn, a mighty oak can grow. Hey, don't knock the 1% Matthew. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Although uh, my least favorite line in your, uh, your review of the true Q of the podcast on true Q was um, 
the part where it's his only uh, film screen credit. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're gonna well, we're gonna but, fire the guy who does trivia. Don't worry about it. We're firing him. <laughs> yeah. Letting him go. Well, I, I try to specify so professional screen credit. Yes. All right, that works. Oh, right. thank you for much, and uh, thanks for doing the show every week. It's uh, it's a wonderful companion in my cubicle as I sit there and click my mouse at my normal job. Thank oh, you. Thanks, much. Matthew. Thank you for calling in. I, I really like appreciate it. it. Yeah, you too. You got it. All right. So now, now it was a little preemptive. Yeah. Now we'll oh, go wait, wait. to. Uh, yeah. What? What? Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna let him. Uh, we're gonna let Brandon Q. Uh, Earl. Earl up. Yeah. Right. But we want to remind people about the poll, don't we? Because I can't. Even, oh, yes, we do. I don't have it up. So I don't know who's winning what right now. But of course, I will repeat the question again. Saru's uh, yeah. uh, violence. What's up with that? <laughs> so I can tell you right now that I get it are in the lead. The I get it at 52 percent and the I don't get it at about 48 percent. Yeah. yeah, but you got to figure there's a margin of error there. That's really neck and neck. It is. It's super close. Yeah. So what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> now well, let's go to Earl. I know I've kept this. I've kept this from Earl far too long. I apologize. Okay. How's it going, Earl? It's going great, guys. I just uh, I wanted to say that I am so relieved that we discovered that Saru was acting of his own volition of his own choices and not mentally possessed because I think nineties star Trek, you know, because it was such an economical thing. You don't have to bring in a guest star. If you have one of the regulars possessed and acting out of character, you know, I understand the economics of it. I am glad that we are just telling this story mm-hmm. and, you know, letting Saru have some flaws rather than chalking it up to him being, you know, under the control of the planet or whatever, which it, to be fair, they really played with that up until the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Until I, you mean in, until he's in sick bay saying, "Oh yeah, no, that was me, and I would have killed you." Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, speaking as someone who gets really tired of, you know, somebody has been taken over because as many times as these people get taken over, uh, Troy needs a much <laughs> bigger staff on the Enterprise D, for example. Just, <laughs> but yes, the. Uh, just the fact that they pointed out that he, you know, he was under his own steam that uh, I, I found that very satisfying. I also found the whole, the whole environment, the whole alien environment, very satisfying. Uh, we are now exploring, you know, Canadian woodland instead of Bronson Canyon. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have a thing. Against and it was Bronson blue. Canyon, I promise. Yeah. I'm, I'm really yeah. disappointed though, by the lack of Vasquez rocks so far in discovery. I feel like I feel like we're not actually watching Star Trek until we go there at least one time in a season. I'll tell you honestly, we had a debate about what we were going to do for the um for the poll question and it was actually watching a friend's discussion on um on Facebook, uh, Rob Sawyer, who we had on a couple of weeks ago. I was watching a discussion that he was having with people on Facebook, a lot of his friends um with whom he was speaking had basically decided that this episode of Discovery was a mess. And I'll grant you this episode of Discovery is not quite as tight necessarily, but most everybody was doing this whole thing of, of, of saying that Saru was completely ridiculous. Saru was acting way out of character. What's going on with Saru? And finally, one person said it's his first moment of peace in at least 30 years, depending on how old he is, because I don't think we actually know 
But, but you know, they, they said, if I had never known a moment of peace and you tried to take it away from me, I have no idea how I would be. And so it was really, that's, that's kind of where our poll question uh, uh, came from. It was, a, it was a fascinating thing to see for his character. It has to be, this is the one time, and I know I have been the guy who has said, I want my Star Trek to be episodic. Saru doesn't recover from this next week. Not immediately anyway, at least not if they're actually not if they're really drawing a line all the way through. He's got to have a lot of questions about himself next week and the week after and the week after. Because here's the thing, while he's always been afraid, he wasn't afraid to fight. All of a sudden he had no problem fighting somebody who could have hurt him because now he had something bigger for which to fight. I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot that went on in that. Um there's a lot that went on in just that, that short exchange between them, I think. Yeah, it was a pretty profound thing, I thought, to explore with a character that we've, we've only known so far as to be sort of gentle and unsure. We, we established all those moments where he had opportunity for command and wasn't particularly good at it and, and constantly second-guessing himself. And when he did try to assert himself, maybe... I won't say failed, but but certainly didn't come out on top. Um, so I thought it was a pretty profound thing to explore the idea of here's not only an individual who has experienced this, but you have to extrapolate from that his entire race has experienced that, where they he describes that their entire evolutionary course has made them, well, first of all, strong and and uh, sort of hyper aware of their surroundings but has made them afraid. They they have the threat ganglia, which we've looked at several times in this show so far. <laughs> so, um, it, so it's a pretty profound idea to say, what if you take that character and remove him entirely from the conditions which make him who he is? And it's not quite like Spock in uh, This Side of Paradise, and it's not quite like the characters in The Naked Time or The Naked Now, uh, where you can just sort of say, well, they were drunk. You know, so they're they're really different. They're acting out of their minds. No, no, no. This, like, like you said, Ken, for him to say at the end, that's me, but that's me under this different condition. It, it was a little, um, yeah, it, it was a little dark. And uh, it makes you wonder where that character will go after that. Now that he's gotten a taste of what that feels like. So, Earl, we uh, we are going to have to move on because we've got uh, at least one more caller waiting here to uh, to help us close out the show. But thank you for bringing that up. I thought it was um, I thought it was an interesting psychological look at that character this week. So, I appreciate you bringing that up to us tonight. There's a fantastic uh, comment actually in the Facebook page right now. If Saru is an example of the prey species, I want to see the predator. <laughs> terrifying yeah yes todd, todd that was todd in our facebook chat room and todd is not wrong hey before we get to our last caller i think we might um john if uh, do you want to you want to pull up one more facebook question as well i think before yeah i'd be glad to, to yeah. last caller. before we do either of those things though i want to remind people uh we are uh, happy to be part of a, an organization called the roddenberry podcast network and what that is actually is a uh, no, hold on to your hats. It's a network of podcasts. So Wait, uh, what? I know, right? I know it's crazy. <laughs> there's a Mission Log Live, uh, which uh, yeah, I'm wondering now actually if we should have called it Son of Mission Log or Child <laughs> of Mission Log. 
Uh, of course, there's Mission Log, which John and I have been doing now for over five years, watching every episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the episode holds up today. Uh, there's Women at Warp, which is a uh, feminist look at, uh, at Star Trek. They're not going episode by episode by episode, but they are tackling different, uh, uh, different subjects uh, uh, through that lens. And finally, there are the good people at Priority One, which is your, uh, one of your one-stop shops, I would say, for Star Trek news. So it can be everything from gaming news to news about TV shows or movies to, um, oh, golly, there are literary reviews, there are product reviews, all kinds of things there. And the place to check all of those out is podcasts.roddenberry.com. Uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. We... are very happy about the shows that are on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. I don't want to say anything like, oh, we took a great deal of time choosing and deciding or whatever. But I mean, we, we've really tried to, we tried to put together a network that, that we would be happy to listen to, that we'd be happy to present to anyone else as well. Um, and don't misunderstand. I mean, uh, uh, some of these shows were going on long before we got there, uh, but we love them. And we're happy to sort of uh, have them in our tent so then we can ride out and, uh, and spread the Star Trek love. So podcast.roddenberry.com. And if you would check that out, uh, you would make us as happy as Larry and scientists are working right now to figure out exactly how happy Larry is. I, I don't even, I, I don't think there's a scale that, that can measure that. So <laughs> the, well, um, the thing is, it's the Larry scale. Yeah. Oh, not Nemechek. Yeah. Although he seems pretty happy too. No, see, I, I thought but, it was. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's just a phrase. Happy as Larry. Okay. Yeah. All right. But, I'm, I'm going to make it about Larry Nemechek. So. Oh, well, okay. that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. Just one, one question I wanted to bring up. This kind of goes back to the conversation we were having about binge watching versus spreading out, you know, week mm -hmm. after week. Mm -hmm. Michael says, I find binging a show makes me much less critical of it. Do you feel the same? Wow. I hadn't even thought right. about it that way. I mean, the problem is, uh, that's uh, that's really interesting. Uh, the difficulty for me is I can't think of any time that I've done both with the same show, although maybe The Wire. I think I started watching The Wire weekly on HBO, and then something happened, and I couldn't continue watching it weekly. And so then it was a couple of years later that I caught the whole thing later, or maybe that was Six Feet Under. It was one of the HBO shows. I know that. All I can say is that I binge Mad Men, and uh, that show was perfect, and you'll never tell me anything different. So uh, there you go. That show was killed, though, by separating the last season into two different seasons. I will tell you that. I, I believe that. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. It, it hurt, but I know why, because they wanted to spread it out for one more Emmy. So they just needed to, you know, yes. look, I'll, I'll give them that. I'll give them that. God's sake, don't do it for the art. <laughs> 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 All right, we have Casey lined up to talk to us next. Our old friend Casey, are you there, sir? Oh yes. Greetings from Santa Rosa, California. How you there doing? he is. Welcome, welcome. What can we do for you this week, Casey? Oh man, oh man. You know, uh, you know, I have a serious question for you guys. Um, do you think that when Saru is at his most petty and resentful of Burnham, that he just waits until it's Michael's jogging time with Tilly and just constantly laps her and brag about his time. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say, does he trip her with those gigantic legs? No, I, I think he's just, you know, he's so sick of being second best. And that's just the one thing he's got on her. And he just rubs it, rubs it right in, you know, uh, it's, I, it's, I have to wait. Hey, 
I have to. Wait. Did you notice that, that there was a, uh, there was a, an interesting little costume thing there when Burnham and Saru are having their fight on the, on Parva that um, he is, cause obviously Doug Jones is in those weird boots where he's got the hooves, right. And this changes his body in that character. It changes his whole physicality when they're having the fight. He was in normal boots. Then, then will they cut to the shot where he's sort of kneeling down after she's hit him with that giant stick that she found? Then he's back in the hoof boots. And and I get it. It, It's sort of like when they shot uh, Shatner at Vasquez Rocks fighting the Gorn. If you look closely, there are moments where he's in like lace up uh, wrestling boots almost uh, to make it a little easier on the, the physicality of that fight. And if it was really Doug Jones doing it, uh, which I, I'm, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, they, he's a tall guy already. They don't want to break the guy's ankle. He gets a, he makes a living out of doing this yeah. kind of work. Um, but uh, it's, it's not like the old days, man. I just watched uh, paradise, this, uh, this side of paradise again. And uh, the, the, the scene in the, t- in the transporter room where, uh, you know, uh, Kirk finally pushed Fox's last button and, you know, no one has ever seen the show as clear as we are able to see it now uh, mm-hmm. because of uh, the thing. And it's just so clearly not Shatner or Nimoy when they go into the fight. <laughs> and it's just like perfectly mixed in. You know, there's, they slam this poor extra's head against the wall and, uh, and they do this, the console smash, which I was very happy to see Saru do, uh, you know, of the, uh, the cool little antenna thing. Did a Saru smash on that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're doing such a good job with this. This is literate Star Trek, uh, literally like uh, Kristen bear, uh, Kirsten bear. She, uh, I mentioned her before and, um, you know, and all the guys in this production, they're coming at this, uh, with this depth of knowledge of, of everything that's come before. And it's, it's wonderful. There's one thing I'll say about Ken's, uh, take, on the um on the break in the seasons i don't like Mm. it either i don't like it either um i don't like waiting i I, right now i think we're in this great hybrid time where we are waiting uh every week and so it builds that anticipation nicely but when that week gets here then we can watch it on our own we're not like you know glued to a very specific time unless we want to be there as it's coming out and uh you know, from 69 to 79, 10 years, there was no Star Trek. And it just grasped people's <laughs> minds and it flourished. Okay, and, there, uh, there are two things I will say to that. First of all, uh, you're forgetting about the animated series. I hate to do this. I hate to do this, but we are right up against the end of the show. So I'm going to have to. I know. Uh, I'm so sorry, Casey, but call back again. All right. Because we do love talking to you. I got to really quickly, though, say Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including the shows I mentioned earlier, Mission Log, Women at Warp, uh, Mission Log Live, and Priority One. And we would again like to thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection uh, for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to check out what they have to offer at eaglemoss.com slash discoverystarships. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in every week, and we do look forward to seeing you next Tuesday. 